Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo, CEO of the Cancer Support Community. The Wellness Community and Gildas Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the United States and around the world. Our services are offered at more than 170 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. Well, you know, every now and then, I come across something that literally makes my jaw drop from surprise. Uh, According to an article in U.S. News and World Report, 70% of women feel they were not fully informed about their their breast reconstruction options prior to their mastectomy. 70%. I firmly believe that one thing that makes people facing uh, facing cancer diagnosis feel empowered is making informed decisions. So when I saw this statistic for women facing a breast cancer diagnosis, I knew I had to bring some experts onto the show and have a real substantive discussion about the incredibly personal choice between breast reconstruction surgery and going flat. So with us today, we have two uh, great guests. We have Sarah Sarah Bartashevich-Hamilton and Dr. Sonara Coomer. Sarah Bartashevich-Hamilton tested positive for the BRCA2 gene mutation in 2006, a a gene mutation that can significantly increase a person's chance of developing breast cancer. She had a prophylactic double mastectomy shortly thereafter. In other words, she had both both of her breasts removed. Sarah is the co-founder of Flat and Fabulous, a Facebook group whose goal is to support and empower women to embrace life without reconstruction after mastectomy. She is a mom and a writer and also has a day job in the pharmaceutical industry. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thank you so much. And then later in the show, we will be joined by Dr. Sonara Kumar, the Chief of Breast Surgery and Director of the Florina Rusi Mark Comprehensive Breast Center at Northwell Health, Staten Island University Hospital. But Sarah, I'm going to start with you. Um, Sarah, is there a history of breast cancer in your family? Is that why you were tested for the BRCA2 gene gene mutation? Just give us a little background on you. Yes, I have a large family history of different types of cancer, including breast and ovarian, which is the majority of the cancer caused uh, by the gene mutation. Um, My mother has never had cancer, but her mother, in fact, passed away from ovarian cancer. Hmm. Wow. And so having uh, uh, tested positive for the gene, why did you believe that uh, uh, prophylactic double mastectomy was the best choice for you? Yes, I have a, at that point I had a young family. Um, Cancer was something that we knew struck a lot of our family and it was something that I grew up fearing. And for me, finding out my gene mutation status and then having the prophylactic mastectomy seemed like the best thing I could do to never hear from a doctor that I had cancer and to try to ensure that I would be around for my family. Hmm. Wow. And Sarah, at what point did doctors begin to speak with you about breast reconstruction? You know, what options did they present to you was, was not reconstructing your breast included as an option? Talk us through that conversation. Take us back a little bit. 
Sure. So because I did not have cancer, um, I was at the cancer center there, the group that performed my gene test. Um, when I received those results, I told the counselor that I wanted to talk to somebody about a mastectomy. So I went and talked to the oncological surgeon about the mastectomy, and she referred me to the plastic surgeon. Uh, the plastic surgeon I was presented to had his ideas of how I should be reconstructed, and uh, the option to not reconstruct was never brought up to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was only 29, so I tend to think that it was my age, uh, but in interacting with the members of Flat and Fabulous, I have found that it is not uncommon for the topic of non-reconstruction to ever come up. So when you decided on the surgery, it was automatically assumed that you were having reconstruction? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so that's the path that you uh, set down. He talked... He talked yeah. through a couple of options for the actual reconstruction, mm-hmm. uh, but he told me that he felt that expanders were my best option with implant placement after that. Mm-hmm. So tell us what that means. So so my, my understanding from reading about your story, Sarah, is that you experienced a number of setbacks with the re- breast reconstruction um, process. So So... Once the decision was made for reconstruction, but again, as you said, there was really no other decision or or choice that was discussed. So talk us through what that process was. Take us down that road with you. Sure. Uh, So when when I had the prophylactic mastectomy, uh, before I was rolled into surgery, the plastic surgeon marked up where he wanted the oncological surgeon performing the mastectomy to cut. And so she would cut he would come right behind her while she worked on my other side uh, to start the expansion placement. Expanders are, it's, it's like a type of implant almost. It's a bag that they put underneath your pectoral muscle. And uh, before they close you up, they will actually put fluid in there as, as much as they feel they can put in, and they sew you back up. Then what happens is you go into your plastic surgeon's office. There's a valve right underneath your skin that they can access with a needle, and they uh, continue increasing the volume of fluid in that expander until they've gotten you to a place that is similar in size. I actually think it's maybe a little bit bigger than what your implants will be. And um, once you've achieved that, they, for me, they let it sit for about a month, and then they go in and perform another surgery where they take out the expander and they place the implant in instead. And so um, you I actually had that done. It, is that correct? Yes, that is how I did that. Um, it is a painful process. It's not... Mm. <laughs> It's not a natural process. It's a very painful process. Uh, I had to be on a lot of pain relievers, painkillers. During that process, uh, it took a couple months. They, because of, I had a skin-sparing mastectomy, so they tried to keep as much skin as possible to help you have that skin as they expand. You reach a point where your skin is expanded as well. Uh, they like to go as fast as possible because you have a skin-sparing mastectomy because your skin will naturally retract when it's not being used is the best way I can describe it. So he wanted to expand as fast as possible. Uh, In the end, 
if I'm remembering correctly, it was about 750 to 780 cc's. It was a lot. <laughs> um, and so then he replaced it. I think it was a 750 implant. Uh, I started out with silicone. My muscles, for whatever reason, they were really determined to get back into place. And so my muscle itself was pushing on the silicone implants. And because they're pliable, the silicone implants accommodated what my muscles were trying to do. So I was left looking pretty boxy as far as the implant goes. So he decided he wanted to try a saline implant because it'll keep its shape better. Um, and so at some point he replaced the silicone with saline. After that was done, I did walk through the process of having nipple reconstruction. Uh, at that point, it was going into his office. He did a colored tattoo. I got to pick the color of my nipples. And so he made a circle to give me the color. And then about a month later, he made an incision. It almost looked like a flower shape that he cut in my skin. And then he brings it all together to sew it up to make it look like a nipple. So Sarah, uh, so at what point did you decide that you were going to reverse the reconstruction? I had my implants for a few years. I started to develop uh, issues. Those issues for me was I started to feel like an electrical sensation coming through my chest area. Uh, it originally was pawned off as my nerve endings were probably being recreated. There's sensation lost when from the mastectomy because your nerves are impacted by that. Yeah. And so when I'm having these electrical-type shocks, of course, it's very understandable that they thought it was just nerve endings being recreated. Eventually, though, it developed into a burning sensation where my chest would just burn all day, every day. And it was painful. It was a lot. Um, I never was very comfortable with my implants themselves. And so I started questioning whether I should just have my implants removed. Uh, that's a struggle. That's a struggle to come to because I yeah. spent a lot of time, a year, a year and a half to fully reconstruct my breast. I was never a breast person to begin with. Before kids, I had a very small size A breast. I was never big into breasts, but here I have spent all this time and energy reconstructing this, and I'm just going to go have it wiped out. It, that was my biggest concern was I wanted to make a decision, and I didn't want to ever have to go back to reconstruction if I wasn't happy. So I was trying to make sure that I was sure that I didn't want to mm -hmm. live with reconstruction. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Sarah, we've got a couple minutes until our our first break here, but... Um just tell me, looking back, you know, what do you wish you had known and, 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 and mm -hmm. what perhaps do you wish you had done differently? I tell people now that I come across in my group and when people reach out to me on the page, just about every decision can be reversed. I was so set on making the right decision that I didn't give myself the leeway to realize that if I had my reconstruction removed and I wasn't okay with that, I could have it redone. Every decision but the decision to have a mastectomy can be revisited. Um, I lived without nipples. I have nipples. 
if I ever get my excess skin cleaned up, I'm thinking about having them remove my nipples again. <laughs> so that's mm. what, that's the biggest takeaway I would say is that there's no permanent decision with reconstruction. It can all be done or redone or undone. And do you, just quickly, do you wish you had known more at the beginning of this process about even the idea that reconstruction, that, that, that uh, foregoing reconstruction was even an option? I think that ethically it should have been discussed. I think because I was 29 and where I was at in my life, I still would not have chosen to be flat at that time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I think that's important um, important information uh, to know. Sarah, we've got a lot more that we want to discuss with you. For our listeners, uh, Sarah Bartoshevich Hamilton uh, tested positive for the BRCA2 gene. She had a uh, uh, prophylactic double mastectomy shortly uh, thereafter. Uh, Sarah's the co-founder of an organization called Flat and Fabulous, a Facebook group where the goal is to, and I'm quoting the language, support and empower women to embrace life without reconstruction after mastectomy. We've got a lot more to discuss with Sarah on this topic, and we're also going to be joined shortly by Dr. Sonara Coomer. We're going to take a quick break. This is Kim Tebaldo. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355. Or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts, and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the AZI Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is being brought to you in part by AstraZeneca and Lilly Oncology. I'm Kim Tibaldo, and with us today is breast cancer survivor Sarah Bartashevitz Hamilton. Sarah underwent a prophylactic double mastectomy after testing positive for the BRCA2 gene mutation, a mutation that can significantly increase a person's chance of developing breast cancer. Sarah had reconstructive surgery, but after experiencing a number of setbacks, decided to reverse it and go flat. Sarah is the co-founder of Flat and Fabulous, a Facebook group whose goal is to support and empower women to embrace life without reconstruction after mastectomy. Um, Sarah, in preparing for the show, I've been thinking a lot about how society defines a woman and what the expectations are in terms of appearance and, and uh, attractiveness. And I couldn't help but thinking of, uh, of that uh, Shakespeare quote in Romeo and Juliet, what's in a name that which we call a rose by any other name would still smell as sweet. Um, Sarah, having, uh, you know, the surgeries and treatments related to your breast cancer diagnosis, you have mastectomy, reconstruction, and then deconstruction. Um, did that whole process challenge really how you defined yourself as a woman and what it really means to be feminine? I mean, what were some of those sort of emotional and societal challenges around that? I think that that is a great question. For me, it didn't change how I felt about myself, but I have definitely struggled with how does society view me as a woman because in our culture, breasts are the number one defining item that we possess that defines our femininity. And so... It it made me very self-conscious, and I'm not typically a self-conscious person. When I first became flat, I was very self-conscious about what are other people thinking, what, what is their reaction to me not having breasts. And, and uh, I think that it's interesting that overall, people typically do not even notice We have members who have beautifully flat results. They don't have extra skin or lumps and bumps, and they can go out in a form-fitting shirt, and no one ever really notices that they don't have breasts. So, But on the other end, we do have members who have had people ask or look at them. I think it it just depends. Um, But really, I think that it is something that as individuals we have to consider uh, how that will make us feel. And um, sometimes people don't have a choice to go flat. Sometimes they have to. And I think when that power is removed, that's a different conversation. Mm. But overall, I think that it's possible to live without reconstruction and still feel like yourself. Mm. Interesting, Sarah. Um, 
So talk to us about, you know, you talked a little bit about sort of the emotional societal issues. We talked about some of the medical issues. Talk to our listeners about the sort of practical issues. Did, did, um, did this change how you dress? Did your clothes no longer fit properly? Did you have to, you know, replace or tailor any of your clothes or, you know, from a practical standpoint, what was that like? It is, again, something that I think we struggle with just because we think that it should change. I think that we can, like anything, the shapes of our bodies, we can wear specific clothes to make our bodies look more put together. But as a whole, I think that we can wear the same things. It's interesting that you asked that question because that's actually where the idea came from to create Flat and Fabulous because I had my reconstruction removed and then all of a sudden, about a month later, I'm starting to plan our spring break vacation and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I've never considered what swimsuit am I going to wear on vacation? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I needed a place to talk to other women who are living without reconstruction. What on earth do you do for a swimsuit? In the end, I ended up wearing the same swimsuit that I had worn before, but it is definitely reprogramming our brain to be comfortable with that. Hmm. Interesting, interesting. So let's talk a little bit uh, about the Facebook group that you've uh, that you founded, Sarah. I know you co-created a Facebook group for women who are opting out of reconstructive surgery. Um, tell us about that group and really what led you to start that group? Sure. Uh, the group itself is a closed group. I have a public page as well, but we have a closed group which allows women who are living without reconstruction already or there are women that are trying to decide uh, whether or not they've had mastectomy already. They're trying to decide if they're going to go through the reconstruction process. And so we allow them to join our group to read and learn and ask any questions they might have so that they do have as much information as possible so that they can determine which path is correct for them. Mm, Terrific. You know, I love the name you chose for the group, Flat and Fabulous. It's a bold name, kind of a sassy name. Um, But is, you know, was it important for you in the group uh, to put that out there front and center that flat is fabulous, flat can be fabulous. I mean, was it really around sort of, you know, self-esteem and kind of putting that stake in the ground? Yes, that is exactly why that name was chosen because we know that there is this perception in society that women are defined by their breasts and we wanted to be bold and state that flat is in fact fabulous. Uh, it can be a struggle for some women. We have women who aren't feeling fabulous and they feel like, can I really be part of this group? Of course you can. We feel like you're fabulous and we hope to help empower you and encourage you and help you embrace who you are so that you can feel fabulous, but not everybody gets there. So Sarah, tell us about, tell us about that online community. You said it's a closed group. How does someone find out about it? How could someone, you know, inquire about joining if they're a new member? And and what would they find if they did join your group? Sure. They can find, uh, they can send me an email. I have a website, flatandfabulous.org. We also have a Facebook page. If you just search Flat and Fabulous in Facebook, you'll find us. Uh, That closed group, we really discuss the challenges of being flat. Uh, We discuss, you know, things like sex life comes up, dating comes up, 
marriage comes up, uh, we do share a lot of photos. Um, one of the biggest challenges that we feel right now, because people are starting to uh, recognize that non-reconstruction is a possibility, we're now trying to challenge the medical field to take pride in our flat results the same way they do reconstruction. Unfortunately, we have a wide range of results. Some of our members get flat the first time. Uh, sometimes doctors choose to leave skin. So we, we share a lot of photos of surgical results. We also share a lot of photos of daily outfits because it is a comfort level and sometimes people need ideas. And so we share a lot of photos just of ourselves out and about so that people can start to see how other people are dressing in hopes of inspiring and encouraging them. Mm, terrific, terrific. Sarah, I read that originally you didn't expect many women to join the group, but in fact now you've had over time sort of thousands of women, yeah. um, you know, who've joined. What, you know, what, what, are, what are women finding there? You know, what are the top concerns that are being discussed that you think are drawing so many women to the discussion? I think that the phenomenon is that when we started, we didn't realize how many women choose not to reconstruct. Mm. We were both, my, found, my co-founder and I, were members of other groups. She actually had breast cancer, so she was involved in cancer groups. Because I was prophylactic, I was involved in a lot of BRCA groups. And what we found was that we knew women who were living without reconstruction, but they were in hiding because... The, women don't know that other people are making this choice. When we started to get other people, we had all these women saying, I thought I was the only one. Research shows that it's close to a 50-50 draw of women choosing not to reconstruct as well as the women choosing to reconstruct. Mm-hmm. But society, there's, uh, there is a belief that women who have mastectomies automatically reconstruct. So, so many women who choose not to reconstruct feel that they are the only one. Mm. So, really, is the group is a way for women to know that they're really not alone when they're facing that choice. Yes. It is amazing to watch members who thought they were the only one hiding, not confident in sharing the reason behind their choice. And they find this large group of women that are just like them, and they grow in confidence, and then they start sharing their stories. I think that the group has grown tremendously because my co-founder and I were out there. We were pounding the pavement to get our story out, and mm-hmm. now our story is being shared all the time because we have all these other members around the globe sharing the same story. So it really is an international forum. Yes, yes. Wow, interesting, interesting. Uh, Sarah, we've got uh, a minute or so until our next break, but you know, certainly to reconstruct or, or to go flat is an intensely personal decision. We're going to talk to Dr. Coomer in a little bit about you know some factors that, that do not allow reconstruction as an option for certain women, but uh, when you have the choice, obviously a very personal decision. Uh, just sort of as we're closing the segment here, what advice do you have? for anyone sort of weighing their options, confronted with the decision, advice, questions, tips that you have before we, uh, uh, before we end our segment here? I really encourage women to look at both options in great detail and to try the best that they can to shut out the outside, outside noise and just listen to what their hearts are telling them to do. I think that if they're able to be educated and have the information and then to listen to themselves, 
they'll have a good idea of what is the best path for them to take. Mm, it's really, really great advice uh, for our listeners. And uh, Sarah, I just want to, I just want to thank you so much for um, joining the conversation today for raising awareness uh, of this important uh, issue for letting women know that they are, uh, you know, oftentimes they are the ones who are empowered to make this choice and that uh, they should be really doing so asking the right questions uh, you know, really making this choice with their, uh, their eyes wide open. And so I appreciate you joining. I appreciate the work that you're doing uh, through flat and fabulous. We encourage women to, uh, to check out that group uh, on Facebook uh, founded with, uh, uh, along with, uh, I know a friend of yours, Sarah Bartashevich Hamilton is one of the co-founders of Flat and Fabulous. Sarah, we thank you for joining us uh, today. And uh, after the break, we're going to be joined by Dr. Sonara Coomer. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the AZI Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Insight Corporation, NovoCure, and Taiho Oncology. I'm Kim Tibaldo. In today's episode, we're tackling the deeply personal choice to undergo breast reconstruction or to go flat after a mastectomy. To continue our discussion, we are now joined by Dr. Sonara Coomer. 
Dr. Coomer is the Chief of Breast Surgery and Director of the Florina Rusi Mark Comprehensive Breast Cancer Center at Northwell Health Staten Island University Hospital. Previously, she was breast surgeon at Mount Sinai Medical Center in New York City. Dr. Coomer is an expert in surgical oncology, as well as the latest technological advances in breast procedures. She's committed to increasing community awareness about breast disease and is a frequent medical contributor for Fox and foxnews.com. Dr. Coomer is the recipient of several awards, including the Patient's Choice Award and America's Top Surgeons. Along with being a doctor, Dr. Coomer is a cancer survivor, having been diagnosed with thyroid cancer in December 2010. Her diagnosis came just four weeks after giving birth to her first child. And I do remember when when all of that was happening. Dr. Coomer, welcome to the show. Thank you, Kim. Thank you so much for having me. And how are you doing? How are you feeling? All good? I am all good. Thank you. I'm feeling very wow. blessed and had actually an, another child um, a year ago, and um, wow. and I've done, done, doing very well, and the, both kids are doing great. Thank you so much. Wow. Busy busy practice, busy house. So, uh, yes. <laughs> uh, but, you know, and here you are on our show, and so we're honored. They always say if you want to get something done, ask a busy person. So I think we came, <laughs> we came to the right lady. <laughs> uh, I hope so. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Dr. Kumar, I want to make sure our listeners understand we've had such a great conversation with Sarah sharing her personal story and really her outreach to others through Flat and Fabulous in her in her uh, Facebook community that she's built, uh, which is just wonderful. But I want to make sure our listeners understand some of the medical procedures commonly used in treating a patient diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, can you explain in, in simple and, and, and quick terms, uh, you know, sometimes we hear about a lumpectomy, we hear about a mastectomy, um, why a patient might have one surgery rather than the other? So a lumpectomy is where we just take out the cancer um, and um, with negative margins, um, and we're preserving the rest of the breast tissue. Um, and a mastectomy is where we remove all of the breast tissue. Um, with a lumpectomy, we also have to add radiation treatment. Um, so the radiation, so we the patient would undergo a lumpectomy, and then a few weeks after or a few months after surgery, they go through a course of, of radiation treatment. With a mastectomy patient, for our earlier stage patients who either have to do it or choose to do it, um, they usually can forego radiation treatment. Um, so there is that benefit. Having said that, the risk for recurrence and the survival outcome for patients who've chosen to do a lumpectomy and radiation treatment versus a mastectomy are actually very similar or the same. Um, so that's why we can offer both options for patients. Um, and the, usually the patients that have the, the choice between a lumpectomy and mastectomy are usually patients with stage 1 or stage 2 disease. Um, and, again, you know, in regards to the risk for recurrence, it's, it usually ends up being the same. So it comes down to a little bit of a personal decision. Um, and that would be the difference be- between the two. So one's re- saving breast tissue. The other is removing all of the breast tissue. And you use the term negative margins. Can you explain what that is, Dr. Coomer? So when we do a lumpectomy and we take out the tumor, and, and that's including when we, we have a mastectomy, the goal is to get to healthy tissue. So we want to take out the tumor and the cancer and have that be surrounded by healthy tissue so that we know that when we've, um, when we've completed the procedure that we haven't left cancer cells behind. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Dr. Kimmer, I've read conflicting advice about when to begin the breast reconstruction process. Uh, with recommendations saying that moving forward right away has better results, some saying that, you know, waiting reduces the risk of infection. Does a woman have to decide at the time of mastectomy if she wants reconstruction, and what are the factors that go into that decision? So the discussion 
discussion usually comes up in the in the conversation with your with your breast surgeon. Um, and if you need to do a mastectomy or choose to do a mastectomy, um, that that discussion of reconstruction, whether to do it or or not do it, um, really should come up at that at that consultation. Um, and then eventually, if if a patient has chosen to do that with reconstruction, then the, then they would be um, consulted with the plastic surgeon. They would consult with the plastic surgeon, and then decide at that point if they want to move forward with with the reconstruction. Um, and and the and that time the decision is made really between the three. It, um, obviously, the, the breast surgeon and the plastic surgeon, if they believe it's safe to do immediate reconstruction and do the reconstruction at the same time as the mastectomy, um, then that that is offered to the patient. There was a time when um, any when we. Surgeons tended to prefer that the reconstruction be done as a delayed reconstruction, meaning that they went through the patient, went through the mastectomy, they went through any other treatment that they needed, whether it be chemotherapy and or radiation treatment, if by chance they needed radiation treatment. And then they would um, go on to have their reconstruction, depending on what their course of treatments that they've gone through, it would either be with about six months after the initial surgery or about a year or so after the initial surgery. Over time, as things have, been, have improved with plastics, with the plastic reconstruction, um, or the, with the breast reconstruction, we've, we've turned to doing more Im- immediate reconstruction and preferring to do it at the time of um, the mastectomy, especially for patients that are having a mastectomy for stage one or stage two breast cancer. Um, when we do immediate reconstruction, the benefit of that is that we can. Um, oftentimes save the skin of the breast or save um, the nipple as well. So we can do what's called a nipple-sparing mastectomy or a skin-sparing mastectomy. Skin-sparing meaning that we are removing the nipple but saving the rest of, of the breast, which tends to give patients, especially patients who are having implants, tends to give them a better cosmetic outcome um, because it you know, we've, we've kept more of the natural skin of, um, of the breast, so the pigmentation ends up being similar to what they had before. Um, and because we're not stretching out the skin, they usually don't tend to be as, as tight. With delayed reconstruction, um, oftentimes most of the skin gets removed, not always, but most of the skin gets removed. And then later on when they do the reconstruction, they have to not only expand the underlying tissue like the muscle, they also have to expand the skin. So you end up getting a little bit of a tighter um, a tighter reconstruction if, in the case of using implants um, for, for the reconstruction. Um, so cosmetically speaking, um, for, for most patients, doing immediate reconstruction ends up giving them a little bit more of a better cosmetic outcome, especially in, in the face of using uh, implants for their reconstruction. Mm-hmm. Um, Dr. Coomer, if a woman does not pursue reconstruction immediately and later changes her mind, is reconstruction still an option? Yes, definitely. And uh, and for some patients, they have to do it that way. Um, if they have advanced, if their disease is a little bit more advanced at the time that they come um, in for their treatment, uh, we oftentimes cannot, um, we, we prefer not to, to do the reconstruction immediately. Some women choose to do it later, um, but absolutely. And, and usually that would occur six months to a year after their initial surgery. For some women, they may decide, and I've had a couple patients here and there who've decided you know, five years, ten years after their initial surgery to, to mm. finally do the reconstruction. Mm. And for women who choose not to reconstruct, what should they communicate to their, to their doctor, to their surgeon about the post-surgical appearance of their chest? What is that discussion like versus choices about reconstruction? Well, I, I think it's 
really important for patients to get a good concept as to what that would entail, so what they will look like and, and understanding that, you know, they will be flat on the side um, of the mastectomy. Um, so, you know, essentially it's just um, the skin and the, the tissue underneath the skin and the muscle. So they are completely fat, flat. Usually the incision goes um, horizontally and goes across from the um, middle of, from the, the edge of their sternum to um, all the way to their um, armpit area or their, what we call the axilla. Um, so it's a fairly long incision. And, and I think that's, you know, for patients, um, it's good for them to be aware of that. Um, you know, their skin tends to be numb for, for a long time. Sometimes they never get the sensation back um, on their skin. Some patients have to deal with balance issues. Um, so, you know, often patients when, you know, especially patients that are very large-breasted, um, many of them, you know, will will say that they have, you know, that they felt a little bit off balance for a little while, that they had to, uh, they were favored, they found themselves favoring one side versus versus another side in regards to even just walking or doing things. Um, so that's, you know, um, things that patients should expect. So I think, you know, the discussion whether whether it is to reconstruct or not to reconstruct is really for the patients to ask a lot of questions and really feel like they have a good sense of what they're going to look like and feel like um, after surgery so that they can make a, a better decision for themselves. And it is a very personal decision, mm-hmm. um, especially for patients that are early stage, because as I mentioned earlier, um, the risk for the survival outcomes are the same. Um, but some patients that are early stage choose to do it. In the case of Sarah's situation, um, they're doing it prophylactically or as a means of prevention. Um, and, you know, for, so I think it's important that they have as much information as they can so that they can make a, a, a really good informed decision for themselves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Dr. Kumar, we've only got a couple quick minutes until our break here, um, but I did. I, I found it interesting uh, that Sarah talked about a lot of what happens in the group is really exchanging photos and and uh, uh, sharing that information. You know, do you think it's helpful for women to look at pictures of others who've gone through whether they've gone through reconstruction or opted not to go through reconstruction? I mean, what do you think is the value of Sarah's group, the sharing of information and 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 feelings and emotions, the sharing of photographs? You know, what's the value of that for the patient? Oh, I, I think it's incredibly invaluable to, to have a support group um, like Sarah's to, to help patients through this process, whether it's this decision to do reconstruction or not, and to, to live with, with um, their decisions and making decisions as, as they go along with, with their recovery. Um, so it's incredibly invaluable. I, I think the more information women have, the better. I think, for, you know, our plastic surgeons, um, they prefer to show patients pictures so that they can have a sense in their mind of, of what, what to look like uh, or what they will look like. Um, you know, sometimes also, too, you, you may sometimes always look at the best pictures. So when you go onto a plastic surgeon's website, you're always going to see the best pictures and you may not mm-hmm. see the worst pictures um, mm-hmm. of people that are, who may have unfortunately had, a, had not such a great result. Um, but I think it's important to, to even see those. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're talking with Dr. Zanara Kumar. She's the Chief of Breast Surgery and Director of the Florina Rusi Mark Comprehensive Breast Center at Norwell Health Staten Island University Hospital. We're talking about women who are making the choice not to have breast reconstruction uh, and to go flat. Um, we have a lot more to discuss with Dr. Kumar after the break. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help, and many of the people in their lives want to help but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Train, sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit Mealtrain.com slash MMT and enter the code MAGNOLIAB or visit us at CancerSupportCommunity.org. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts, and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia, Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Bristol-Myers Squibb, Celgene Corporation, EMD Serono, and Takeda Oncology. I'm your host, Kim Tibaldo. I started the show by sharing a statistic that said that 70% of women feel they were not fully informed about their breast reconstruction options prior to their mastectomy. So I'm thrilled to have Dr. Sonara Coomer with us to help us really dive deeply into the complex considerations involved in deciding between pursuing breast reconstruction or not pursuing it after undergoing a mastectomy. Dr. Coomer is the Chief of Breast Surgery and Director of the Florina Rusi Mark Comprehensive Breast Center at Norwell Health Staten Island University Hospital. Dr. Coomer, in your experience, what are common reasons that uh, either women either pursue or forego uh, reconstructive surgery? Are there medical factors at play? Is it simply a personal decision? Um, it's a it's a bit of both. Um, you know, for some patients, um, they have to do it 
So they, they have to do it because their disease is so advanced and, um, uh, and it ultimately will give them a better result in regards to their radiation treatments if they do not do um, reconstruction. So for some, it, it is um, a matter of, um, of disease. For others, it may be a, a lifestyle such as smoking. So patients that are heavy smokers um, tend to be at a higher risk for complications with breast reconstruction. So the plastic surgeon may prefer to do them as a delayed reconstruction so that they have a chance to heal um, from the mastectomy portion and then later on do, do their reconstruction when their skin is, is in better condition. Um, and for others, it's a choice. Some patients just want to avoid the additional surgery and not having to deal with one or two or three or four surgeries involved in their reconstruction. Um, and others just prefer to have a shorter recovery time and are nervous about the amount of discomfort or pain that they may experience uh, regarding that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I imagine that maybe in Sarah's group, and I'm sure you're having this conversation with patients, but there are questions about perhaps uh, sexuality, questions about kind of feeling, sensation, uh, I think both, uh, you know, on the emotional side and the physical side, it affects, does it, you know, you hear patients say it affects how they feel uh, as a woman, concerns about how their partner might feel about uh, perhaps not choosing reconstruction. What are those conversations like with your patients? You know, we, we try to tell ourselves um, as women, and we also try to uh, tell, uh, sometimes say to other women, well, you know, our sexuality shouldn't be defined um, by our breasts. But, you know, for some, and for some women, it's not. It does not define them. And um, I've had many patients say to me, I'm not attached to my breast, so I, I don't care. Let's, let's just do the mastectomy. Um, and then I've had other patients that have really struggled with it before surgery and, and after surgery, feeling like they are feminine and, and beautiful and concerned, especially for my younger patients, some of them who are not even married um, or have a significant other in their life, um, how eventually that conversation will come up and will this person see them as a, as a whole woman because um, they don't have their natural breast tissue or they've had a mastectomy. Um, you know, usually with younger women, they have reconstruction, but even when you have reconstructed breasts, because you don't have the same sensation of your skin and your nipple, um, that does um, interfere with, um, you know, the intimacy of, of your relationship at time for some, for some couples um, and can certainly, you know, affect a woman's sense of their sexuality and feminine, femininity when, when they don't have the same sensation, let alone look of their natural breasts. So it is a real issue, and, and I think support groups like Sarah's are so important um, for women who've chosen not to do reconstruction and even for women who have chosen to do reconstruction, support groups to help deal with those are, are incredibly important. Mm. Dr. Kumar, we've read some accounts of women who really did not feel that their doctor supported their decision to go flat. And interestingly, Sarah shared with us that not having reconstruction was never even really discussed or presented to her as an option. Now, she said she probably would have chosen to go ahead anyway. But, you know, tell us about that doctor-patient communication. And do you see colleagues, you know, in your medical world who, who do not support the decision to go flat? Um, in my media group of colleagues, no, you know, I, I, I don't see that as, as much, but unfortunately, I, you know, I've, I'm sure that it does exist, especially as Sarah said, she was a young woman 
And so they would assume that she's just going to want, of course, going to reconstruct her breast. Why, why would she ever think of anything else? But And that's unfortunate um, because certainly it makes that decision if you do decide to reverse your reconstruction or you do decide not to do reconstruction. It really then plays more into the sense of, you know, have I really, um, you know, have I really done something wrong, so to speak, and now you're dealing with, with the stigmata of, of that. But I, I think that if you're finding that you are meeting with a surgeon who's not giving you the option of not, re- of not doing reconstruction, so not pro- providing you information on both options, it's probably a good idea to seek a second opinion um, to determine if, you know, you can get more information to help you make that decision um, in, a, in a more well-informed manner. Mm. So, Dr. Coomer, you have the interesting insight and perspective of being both a doctor and a cancer survivor. You've been on both sides of the table, both sides of the conversation. What do you think it is important for a woman to communicate to her medical team as she makes this decision? What, you know, what tips or advice would you have for for someone listening today and perhaps confronting this decision? Well, I think it's really important to to establish your, your prognosis um, and also to establish your treatment plan first and foremost. So most importantly, you know, we want to survive our disease. So, um, so, so I think that's really important to get as much information as you can about your staging, about your treatment options um, in, in regards to the actual cancer. But, but I think with breast cancer, I think the cosmesis is or cosmetic uh, result of what you're going through, whether it's a lumpectomy or a mastectomy with or without reconstruction, is really important to get a good understanding. I, I sometimes see patients very shy to discuss the the cosmetic side of it, or they apologize for discussing the cosmetic side of their surgery that they have to go through. And like, I'm sorry, you know, I don't mean to be concerned about my reconstruction. But the reality is, is that, and I tell them, I say, it, it's really important because in a year or two years from now, when you are not, not in the midst of this diagnosis and you're on the other side of this, your cosmetic result becomes very important to you mm-hmm. because you're looking at yourself every day as well as, you know, your, your, your partner, if you're with somebody and, you know, that it plays into that. So it is a very important part of your result. And I think, um, you know, that a woman should feel very empowered to discuss that and they should not apologize for being worried about the cosmetic side of their, um, of their treatment. Mm, I think that's, uh, I think that's great advice. Uh, we're, we're, uh, we're getting towards, uh, towards the end of our show here, uh, Dr. Coomer, but just a quick word about your work there at the, uh, at the uh, Breast Center at Northwell Health, uh, Staten Island. What's your vision for the center there? So we, we established a center, um, especially for this community that has um, the highest mortality rate for breast cancer in the New York, out of the New York bor- five New York, New York boroughs. Um, and um, it's a means of a one-stop shop. So we wanted to create a, a center that was comfortable for women and men to come to, um, and they could see all of their physicians and, and um, mm-hmm. in, in one area. And we also created a boutique. So to speak to Sarah's concern about what do I do yeah. for a bathing suit, um, mm-hmm. we have a beautiful boutique here to provide patients with all that, um, with the clothing and, and bras. Wow, just terrific. Really wonderful. Congratulations on Thank that. You. And congratulations on your uh, wonderful growing family. It's been a real pleasure. Uh, to have you on the show with us today. I want to thank you for joining us to help our listeners better understand the options available 
uh, after a mastectomy, giving them valuable information and giving them really the tools and the resources uh, that they need to make a decision. And uh, we also want to thank Sarah for joining us and telling our listeners about flat and fabulous and ways that women can connect with others who are facing the same decisions. Uh, it's my uh, pleasure uh, to have uh, everyone listen in today on Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Tebaldo, CEO of the Cancer Support Community. To learn more about our free resources, check out cancersupportcommunity.org or you can call us at 888-793-9355. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. <music>